You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The FBI and CISA detail SVR cyber activities... Nine U.S. combatant commands see declassification as an important tool in information warfare. A convergence of OPSEC and privacy? Apple fixes a significant gatekeeper bypass flaw. Babak ransomware hits D.C. police. A new twist in credential harvesting? Ben Yellen considers the FTC's stance on racially biased algorithms. Our guest, Tony Howlett from SecureLink, tracks the evolution of threat hunting. And that was no hack. It was just a careless tweet. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. The U.S. FBI and CISA, the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, have released a joint description of trends in SVR cyber activities summarizing the current state of the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service's operations against the U.S. and allied networks it targets. In 2018, like everyone else, the SVR decided the future was in the cloud, and it's been operating against targets there ever since. The service makes heavy use of false identities and cryptocurrencies in putting its campaign infrastructure in place. Quote, These false identities are usually supported by low-reputation infrastructure, including temporary email accounts and temporary voice-over-IP telephone numbers. The SVR also uses open-source or commercial tools, notably Mimikatz and Cobalt Strike, in its operations. There are perhaps confusing elements to the report, especially in its allusions to the threat actor's presumptive organization chart and its track record, Not everything mentioned in the track record, for example, flowed through into the SolarWinds supply chain compromise effort. But the specific recommendations in the document are worth thinking about. The problem with supply chain compromises is the way in which they can turn trusted resources against targeted organizations. The Bureau and CISA recommend auditing log files to identify attempts to access privileged certificates and creation of fake identity providers, deploying software to identify suspicious behavior on systems, including the execution of encoded PowerShell, 
deploying endpoint protection systems with the ability to monitor for behavioral indicators of compromise, using available public resources to identify credential abuse within cloud environments, and finally, configuring authentication mechanisms to confirm certain user activities on systems, including registering new devices. There's a sense communicated in a memo to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence from nine of the 11 U.S. combatant commanders, U.S. Central Command and U.S. Cyber Command, didn't sign, that more declassification would render important assistance to U.S. efforts to counter hostile information campaigns. These are often, though not exclusively, disinformation efforts, and the memo is thought to express concern that the U.S. is losing an information war and that excessive secrecy and overclassification are an important reason why. Politico, which says it's seen a copy of the memo, quotes it in part as saying, We request this help to better enable the U.S. and, by extension, its allies and partners, to win without fighting, to fight now in so-called gray zones, and to supply ammunition in the ongoing war of narrative. Unfortunately, we continue to miss opportunities to clarify truth, counter distortions, puncture false narratives, and influence events in time to make a difference. End quote. The 11 U.S. combatant commands, which succeeded the old unified and specified commands, some of the gray heads in our audience may remember, are major joint commands that have either a regional or a functional focus. The regional commands are Africa Command, Central Command, covering the Middle East, European Command, Indo-Pacific Command, Northern Command, covering North America, Southern Command, focused on South America. The functional commands are Cyber Command, Transportation Command, Special Operations Command, Space Command, and Strategic Command. The Wall Street Journal describes the way in which commercially collected and sold smartphone geolocation data are coming to be recognized as a serious OPSEC problem. It's a case in which the interests of operations, security, and privacy would appear to coincide. The U.S. Department of Defense has sought to crack down on the ways in which its personnel interact with the Internet, but much personal data, especially geolocation information, is so pervasively collected that such measures have had, at best, debatable success. Policymakers are looking at the problem, and it seems possible that such concerns may add impetus to congressional privacy legislation. Apple yesterday fixed a vulnerability in its gatekeeper notarization process, the record and others report. The flaw, TechCrunch says, had been quietly exploited in the wild since January to distribute the Schleyer Trojan. Researcher Cedric Owens, who discovered and reported the gatekeeper bypass bug, described the technique as one in which, quote, a script is placed in the contents macOS directory instead of a macho. Since scripts aren't checked by Gatekeeper, this is a way in which malware can falsely present itself to the system as notarized, that is, checked and verified as trusted. Researcher Patrick Wardle confirmed Owen's conclusions. Apple, as we said, fixed the problem Monday. The Babuk ransomware gang has hit the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police, State Scoop reports, and it's threatened to release 250 gigabytes of sensitive files. The record has screenshots of the dump site. The attack represents a bit of a departure for the Babuk gang, which hitherto hasn't shown signs of making it a practice to hit local government organizations. But, of course, that's a matter of taste, a little bit, habit, a little more. 
and above all, a judgment about potential return on investment. Babuk, like other criminal groups, will go where its cost-benefit analysis takes it. In this case, they were drawn to the D.C. police. Security firm Avanon has noticed an interesting twist on a familiar social engineering gambit. The crooks ask the victims why they, the crooks, paid them, that is, the victims. Are you trying to scam us, victims? Of course, they ask you to log into your PayPal account to help them track down the error, and then, of course, they'll harvest your credentials. So it's a bit different, but the grammar and usage in the come-on are pretty bad. Following conventional usage is important, If the message can't get it right with a relatively convincing appearance of native-speaking proficiency, it's best ignored. And finally, hey everybody, here's a tip. Twitter is not a search engine. Somebody at U.S. Special Operations Command apparently mistook it for one, or maybe just had a confusing number of windows open, or was in a coffee-deprived performative state, or something like that. That somebody, whoever it may have been, tweeted out a baffling Afghanistan Islamic State on Saturday. In truth, we all make mistakes, even U.S. Special Operations Command, which Task and Purpose points out, didn't have its social media accounts hacked as it initially believed and said they had been. It was just operator headspace that induced the Twitter mishap. Quote, After review, it was determined our Twitter account was not hacked and a social media administrator inadvertently tweeted the words while conducting a search for current topical events. We are reviewing our internal processes to refine our social media practices. No security breach took place and we apologize for any confusion this may have caused. End quote. So, as you were, everybody... Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
The solar winds supply chain attack has resulted in many organizations taking a closer look at their efforts when it comes to threat hunting, with many advocating it become a standard ingredient in the security cocktail. Tony Howlett is CISO at SecureLink, and I checked in with him for his thoughts on threat hunting. So yeah, threat hunting is a pretty new discipline. Uh, it hasn't really been even considered a discipline until recently, and someone gave it a name. Um, honestly, I, I wish I'd gotten to name it, because I don't think threat hunting uh, accurately describes it. it. It sounds more like you're searching for something out there in the wild, when really uh, what threat hunting describes is searching for threats within your network and your systems, either that have happened in the past or maybe ongoing, where you have an intruder. And, uh, you know, in the past, again, this was done informally by the system administrators or maybe a security person coming through logs, often kind of in the name of forensics, after something bad happened. Um, but what we're trying to do with threat hunting is let's do this before something bad happens. So maybe the intruder has just gotten in and not really escalated privileges yet, not stolen anything or accessed anything sensitive. Uh, or, you know, in the case of one that's in the past, we can hopefully uh, find out what they did and uh, take actions before your name appears in the press, you know, like it did with SolarWinds and some of those victims where they found out from either the FBI or, or news. Uh, that's never a good thing. So let, the idea there is to um, catch the threat while it's happening after your defenses have been breached or maybe perhaps deal with the threat in the past uh, before it becomes public or before it can really damage you. If you had the opportunity to rename it, what what name would you choose? Oh, you know, I should have thought of that before I, I put that forth. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's it's a good thing to think about. Uh, gosh, um, you know, perhaps uh, indications of breach hunting, which is not a very, doesn't roll off the tongue, but that's really what we're looking for is indications of compromise or IOCs. Uh, can we find certain things that sort of the breadcrumbs or the trails that the th- thief left behind? Oh, he left the bottle of milk on the counter would be the obvious mm. one. Or more accurately, oh, there's some footprints in my carpet that don't look like my shoes and things like this. Almost all attackers, uh, even the best ones, uh, might leave some, some, some trails behind. And that's what we look for when we're doing threat hunting. Right. Where do you think we're heading with threat hunting in, in terms of, of, do you think it's going to be you know, more integrated into the, the standard suite of tools? What, what's on the horizon? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think what we're seeing right now is an evolution away from this uh, sort of geeky practitioner in a dark room who's pouring through the logs, you know, almost like a, a beautiful mind kind of person who can put all these things together. That's really beyond all but maybe Rain Man at this point. <laughs> Uh, being able to look through these gigabytes of logs. Uh, So we're leveraging AI and ML uh, machine learning to correlate things that the human mind can't see. We're working together more uh, across organizations, uh, the ISACs, the information sharing groups, uh, because we're real stronger together than we are um, apart. And um, you are seeing some vendors offer, uh, mostly right now, standalone, because it is kind of a, uh, it's, it's a slightly different operation than running a firewall and things like this. And any one device isn't going to have the data, all the data you need. Uh, it's the idea of aggregating log sources and connecting the dots. But I think you will see, especially some of the larger vendors who have a whole suite of products, uh, maybe a Cisco or folks like that who can bring an integrated suite. You know, what's, what's the value of that? It's going to be a marketing term for a while, maybe. So people might want to mm-hmm. put that Uh, on their product brochure and charge money for it. What's the value? 
you still want a person involved. Even with the AI, ML, and all of those things, um, you've got to have someone sort of coordinating the whole process, I think. That's Tony Howlett from SecureLink. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, but also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, I was drawn, uh, my, my attention was drawn to a publication that the FTC put out, and it was uh, brought to my attention via a tweet by a gentleman named Ryan Kalo, who is a law professor. Uh, he's at R. Kalo on Twitter. Uh, and his tweet uh, said, whoa, 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 all caps, <laughs> an official FTC blog. That's how you know it must attorney. be serious. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, by a staff attorney noting that the FTC Act prohibits unfair or deceptive practices that would include the sale or use of, for example, racially biased algorithms. Uh, is this an interesting publication from the FTC, Ben? And I wanted to check in with you on... What do you think this means in terms of the FTC signaling how they're going to approach people's use of AI? I think, as you said on our caveat podcast, this is a shot across the bow to an industry uh, to warn them that enforcement is coming on this question. Hmm. So, you know, this is certainly not something I think we would have seen from the previous presidential administration. I think it reflects a change in policy and change in enforcement practices uh, from the FTC. So basically what they're saying here is we have enough evidence now based on recent studies to know that many seemingly benign algorithms are leading to discriminatory outcomes where certain people are being denied access or, uh, you know, are suffering other benefits on the basis of uh, their race, nationality, et cetera, because Mm -hmm. of these inherently biased algorithms. And what the FTC is saying is, not only could you suffer a reputational loss or, you know, potentially make your customer base angry, you might face enforcement actions. Uh, hmm. So you might face uh, civil or criminal fines or some other civil or criminal sanctions. And they have the authority to issue those sanctions. They cite the FTC Act itself, which prohibits unfair or deceptive practices. Uh, and according to this blog post that they posted on their, their website, that includes the sale or use of racially uh, biased algorithms. Uh, And then things like the Fair Credit Reporting Act and Equal Credit Opportunity Act, where if your algorithm leads to some sort of discriminatory outcome where people of our particular race are less likely to qualify for credit, then you are going to be eligible for sanctions from the FTC for unfair trade practices. Uh, So I think this is uh, really a, a groundbreaking post that we saw from the FTC and a real warning to the industry that they are intending to take racially biased algorithms seriously. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you look at some of the the uh, the titles of these paragraphs in this uh, publication. It says, uh, you know, don't exaggerate what your algorithm can do or whether it can deliver fair or unbiased results. Uh, tell the truth about how you use data. Do more good than harm. Uh, that would seem pretty straightforward, but um, they point out that you could end up with basically the equivalent of you know, digital redlining, you know, which was the old uh, thing back in the, I suppose the sixties was when it was really a thing where, you know, neighborhoods would kind of carve out based on race who could live there or not. They're saying that that could, that could be an unintentional consequence of the way some of these algorithms work. And if uh, your algorithm is doing that, the FTC could come after you. Yeah. And one thing that's important to note here is it does not require discriminatory intent. One of the things they're saying here is that it's up to companies to watch out for discriminatory outcomes. So even if you have the most benign uh, intent possible, uh, and you know many companies do, they talked about research done at, at uh, research presented at a conference back in 2020, showing that algorithms developed for purposes like healthcare resource allocation and advertising actually ended up being racially biased. Uh, so it is your responsibility as a company. Uh, to to evaluate whether your algorithm leads to discriminatory outcomes, even if you obviously had no intention of being discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Again, this is over on the FTC's website. Uh, it's titled Aiming for Truth, Fairness, and Equity in Your Company's Use of AI. Uh, it's written by uh, Elisa Jilson, who is, uh, uh, I believe, an attorney at the FTC. Interesting stuff. Uh, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us and helping make this clear. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.